Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Hello, welcome back. I am your host, Charles Musgrove, and we've got another great show of Answers That Count. You know what we do. We talk business. We try to we try to educate and help the business owner, the operator of the business, and we talk anything from finance matters to legal matters to uh, safety in the workplace to HR issues. We talk about all those things and we try to help the business owner. And you know where to find us. We're on all your popular podcast channels. We're also on YouTube. We're on Roku TV and we're on Fire TV. So if you go to those channels, be sure to subscribe to us and hit the notification button so that when we drop a new show, you'll be notified to go listen to it or watch it. So today we are joined by Mark Melman. He's in New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Charles. It's nice to see you again. Man, it's nice to be seen. And today is, uh, you're actually the second show that we've recorded today. So today is October the 2nd, 2020. And as I like to tell our other guests, this is the longest decade in the past year that I've ever lived through. <laughs> Absolutely true. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's always something new every day. So you just have to wake up, be ready to adapt. And remember, that we're not promised tomorrow, we're not pr- promised another minute, so live it to the fullest and live it the right way, and and praise the Lord, we, we've got hope for a better day. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for joining us, and today, today the topic is going to be, I want to th- throw it out there, it's going to be in the big, the big umbrella of finance. Now, we're not going to be talking about bank financing and that simple stuff where you go to the bank and you put up a little collateral and you get a three or four percent interest rate on that loan. No, we're not going to talk about that, are we, Mark? We're going to talk about alternative methods of financing, and we're going to talk about the second tier, the third tier, and the dark tier. Is that right? That's correct. That's what we're going to talk so about. So this this has been um, this has been your world. So you you've spent your entire career in the big umbrella of finance, and not always with banks. Is that right? That's right. I started my first career. I spent 20 years as a trial lawyer. Wow. And I mostly represented banks and financial institutions. So that gave you a good look into the banks if you're on that side. Right. I was on the creditor side. So I understood how banks decided who to lend money to and when things went bad, what they had to do in order to collect the money. I then transitioned about 15 years ago. And that led me into the alternative world of financing, which is typically uh, the factoring company, the mezzanine lending company. And then ultimately, in the past few years, I've now moved into the uh, debt side of the merchant cash advance world, which I think with what you referenced, Charles, might be the dark side of that. That's movie. the dark side. I, you know, that's like the, uh, I've called it the the suicide <laughs> notes or the payday lending. I mean, it is, if you go into that side, man, it is, it can be, It may you may not be able to get out of it without somebody's help like <clears throat> yourself. I mean, it is, it can be a quick spiral to death. You. It's funny you mentioned payday lending. Payday lending, which was a hot topic about 15 years ago, uh, was the lending for the individual. Right. Merchant cash advance lending is similar to payday lending in the sense that it's 
lending of last resort to the small business community, small to medium business community. And uh, you're right. Once you get into it, it's like falling down the rabbit's hole. Once you take your first MCA loan, it's very typical that you then survive by taking further loans and that gets you further buried underground. Yeah. I hate to say that. I hate to compare that to uh, a drug addict or, or, or an addiction like that, but it's similar. I mean, it's just, you just, once you start it, you got to have it to, to survive another day. Well, it's because you need the money. Your cash flow for your business is non-existent for whatever the reason. And you just need to continually borrow more and more money. Uh, and so what I've done is I started a business uh, which is called MCA Stacking Solutions uh, because when you take more than one MCA loan, it's called stacking them, one on top of the other. And what I do is I work with business owners to help them extricate themselves from the debt that they're under. So for the for those people that are in MCA loans, they understand the pain that they're in. But if you're comparing an MCA loan to a traditional loan that you would get from a bank, compare the interest rate and the the payment frequency and the payoff of that. What do they look like in one versus the other? Sure. If you have a company that's qualified to get bank financing, which means typically your credit is clean, the company operates on a profitable basis, it has financials, balance sheet, uh, P&L, uh, if you can walk into a bank and arrange that kind of financing in today's world, you're typically lending or borrowing at a single-digit interest rate. Anywhere, if you're uh, a phenomenal credit, uh, you're going to borrow at LIBOR plus a number or prime plus a number, right. and still it'll be a single-digit total. Um, if not, if you can't qualify then you have to look at an alternative finance company. The most common being a factoring company. What a factor typically does is buy a company's receivables, that is what they're owed by their customers, and they finance a percentage of that uh, resource. When you're in a factoring relationship in today's world, you're typically looking at interest rates of anywhere from the low to mid to high teens or a little more than that, but not much more than that. So you're definitely Maybe, 20%, you're less than 20% in a factoring relationship. You're typically between 15 and 20%. Okay. <clears throat> then so, the MCAs, I'm so, sorry. So that does, that does provide a very good comparison. If you're looking at traditional financing with good credit, good collateral, you're in the single digits probably. In today's environment, if you're doing a a real estate backed uh, collateral, you're probably, I don't know, five to 7%, probably maybe even better. And then if you were in a, a factoring relationship, you were in the fifth, just say the 13 to 20 range. And now we're going to go into even tier three and the MCA. So tell it now, now that we're kind of sufficiently, we're not freaked out yet. We're when we're in a factoring relationship. So I'm going to let you take us down that rabbit hole and freak us out with this MCA lending. Okay. <laughs> what happens with an MCA, first of all, you start out with the proposition 
that the contract that is entered into is not a loan according to the MCAs. Because if it were a loan, then as I'll explain in a few minutes, it would be a loan at probably a criminal usury rate. So that they is, couldn't do it. They would not be legally allowed to loan money, if you call it a loan, under those rates. Exactly. And so the way the MCAs early on got around that problem was to characterize the transaction as a purchase of future accounts receivable rather than a loan of money. Future accounts receivable. So that, if you compare that to a factoring, factoring is existing receivable. So this, the MCA is future receivables. Well, and that's and it's really just a legal illusion. Yeah. Um, because in fact, what is happening is on the day you sign an agreement to uh, enter into a transaction with an MCA, you get all of your money at that first day. So let's say you take a $100,000 MCA transaction, your business is given the money that day. The money that you pay then going forward to the MCA is against your future receivables. And the illusion is that regardless of how your business performs, the MCA gets the same amount of money day in and day out, week in and week out until it's paid in full. And over time, what is typical in those transactions is that you see interest rates, if you, can, if you figure out the interest rate, interest rates well in, well in excess of 100%, oftentimes several hundred percent even up to a thousand percent. That's that's in, that's insane. So that if you, it is insane. So if they here's here's a, I would venture to say that the people that enter into those MCA agreements, they don't even know what that interest rate is. If they well, it's not it's not even set forth in the exactly. Agreement. They they the MCA people try to hide it. So if the if the borrower ever tried to do that calculation, and they may and if they could make that calculation. Which they could, if they if they came up with a calculation and they saw that it was at that rate, surely they would think twice about doing that. Well, yes and no. Number one, they probably have smoke coming out of their ears if they tried to do the calculation because it's not that easy. Number two, because typically the and I'm going to refer to it as a loan, and I'll explain the legal reason for that as well. The borrower in that transaction is desperate. They have nowhere else to go for money, and they need money for whatever the reason immediately. And so even if they could calculate the interest rate, in most cases, I think, the typical business person would still take the loan. Because what they'll look at instead is, can I afford the payments for as long as I can afford them. And I'll trade that off if I can get that cash today. Right. Have now, his I'm sorry. I was going to ask, and I'll let you finish that, that train of thought, but have you, it, when, you were, when you were describing that, I'm thinking, how many success stories, how many people survive it and are able to pay that back? I mean, that's got to be a, a minority of people that are able to do that. 
Yeah, I, I don't have statistics on that, and I don't know, but I would agree with you. It's It's got to be a minority, a small minority, yeah. because oftentimes what happens is that the company ends up going out of business because they can't afford that debt service in addition to all of the other expenses. Mm-hmm. And so they end up either just going out of business or filing a chapter seven or 11 and not being able to come back into business. And um, they end up getting judgments against them by their creditors, including the MCA. And in 99% of all cases, the MCA takes a personal guarantee from the owner of the business. And so if you have the rare occasion also that the owner has assets personally, those assets are subject to collection by the MCA. Yeah, I would probably in a lot of those situations where the where you have that MCA debt is that's not the the first debt, that's usually the last debt. So there's probably already some maybe even some traditional bank financing, maybe there's some factoring financing in place. So there's a good possibility that there's no unencumbered assets available at the time they do it or when they do that MCA debt, they're probably violating the 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 agreements they already have in place. You're stealing my thunder. You know all the answers. Man, I'm sorry. Absolutely true. (laughs) No, it's true. In most instances, a company that takes on MCA debt has other senior debt, whether it's bank financing, factoring, a combination of both. I have a client right now who has, they're a uh, manufacturer. They have a bank line of credit. The bank has security in all of their hard assets, Mm -hmm. their equipment and everything hard. Their receivables are factored Uh by a factoring company. The bank and the factor have an intercreditor agreement between them. That is an agreement where their respective rights in their respective collateral is protected. And lo and behold, The company needed cash. The bank wouldn't lend them any more money. The factor won't advance anything beyond the receivables that are good. And so they went out to the MCA world. And before you know it, they had six MCA loans stacked on top of each other. Wow. And that's why they brought me in. Does that? That's typical. That's typical. So in that situation that you're talking about, did the debt agreements that already existed with the line of credit and the the hard asset did that did those pr- preclude or prevent this type of debt or taking on any additional debt without them approving it? Absolutely, uh, it would be rare to see any type of financing agreement, whether it's a bank financing agreement, a factoring, mezzanine lender, any type of lending agreement. Even the MCA agreements provide that you the business cannot take on any more debt without first notifying the lender and getting their agreement to do so, which again is part of this whole illusion because on the first day that a business takes an MCA loan, right, they're in violation of not only any senior lender's agreement, they're in violation of the very agreement for the MCA. And when they take on that second one, they're all interesting. They're in default of all the agreements. So if they, when they do that, I'm a, 
I'm assuming that the the factoring agreement as well as the traditional bank agreement, both of those had a, a personal guarantee in place. So the amount of unencumbered assets available for the MCA is probably very limited. And if there were any left, by the time they liquidated to pay those number one and number two, the MCA is going to come in and wipe out whatever's left of the personal assets of that owner. It would be rare that once an MCA is in place, there is any equity in the assets of the company. And in again, in most instances, it would be a rare occasion where even the owner guarantor of the debt, including the MCA debt, would have assets sufficient for senior lenders and MCAs to collect. Is it? Um, that leads me to the other question. If, if a business owner is at the point where they're going to bring an MCA in, is the, is the business survivable? Can the business survive with proper management, or is it so far gone that they just need to look at a liquidation and closing the business? It depends on the situation. It, there can be situations where it's just not survivable, but there are situations where it can. Um, I have on my webpage for the company uh, uh, a sample of work that I've done the past year with one client. Let's pull that up. <clears throat> Uh, it's, and go what to, happened, sure. Go to our work. Yes. There you go. There so there you here, go. Yeah, here it is. Um, I, I got a referral. It was a year ago and two weeks in middle of September from one of the largest factors in the country who had a client that had $20 million worth of accounts receivable, one of their larger clients. And uh, lo and behold, the factor learned that the customer had six MCA loans. Mm. <clears throat> and so they called me and they said, we need help. They referred me to the client. I, and I was engaged by the client to help them with their debt. At the time, they had $6.2 million outstanding amongst all of the MCAs. And they were having a daily debit. Daily. That is daily wow. withdraw from their bank account among for the six loans. Wow. Monday, Monday through Friday every week for a total weekly of $285,000. Weekly. Weekly. Wow. And, um, there is no question that if nothing had be done had been done further at that point, they would have likely have had to file a bankruptcy action within 30 days of the time I met them by the middle of October, just about a year ago, because the factor wasn't going to provide any additional overfinancing to them beyond the amount of their receivables, which the factor had done. Right. But the factor basically said, enough, <laughs> enough. We're not going to take more of a credit risk. Right. So I came in and I developed a strategy and timing has a lot to do with everything. In August of 19, a month before I had met with them, New York 
had just passed a law which Governor Cuomo signed, um, taking away the right of an MCA to file what's known as a confession of judgment. The way the process used to work, first of all, most MCA contracts are written under New York law. Why? Because New York financial law has always been supported by the judiciary. It's a very strong state for lenders. Okay. And it was a strong state for the MCAs. So they were protected there. Very protected. MCA law in New York up until then and even now says that it's a purchase and sale agreement. It's not a loan. Hmm. So you don't have to worry about usury. And New York also had confessions of judgment, which mean that in a default situation, the lender doesn't even have to notify the borrower. All they have to do is go into court, file with a clerk, the confession of judgment, which was signed at the time they made the loan, and judgment is entered. Mm. That law changed in August of 2019. New York then would not recognize, and it does no longer recognize, the right of an MCA or any party to file a confession of judgment against any out-of-state borrower. Good. So your company was out of state? My company was out of state. Good. So that was very fortuitous that that happened all in August. All in August, a month before I met them. So I said, here's what we have to do. My client, once they engaged me, they were banking at a national bank, one of the big five. I said, we have to do two things. Number one, we have to move you to a local community bank to make it more difficult for the MCAs to find you because when we follow through with the strategy, they're not going to like you very much and they're going to be chasing you. Right. So we took about, it took us three weeks to get a new bank in the state that the client was in to get a banking relationship, get it set up, get it tested because of the type of their business. They needed a platform that would work no matter what because payroll was a significant part of their business. They were a staffing firm. Three weeks later, we made the transition from old bank to new bank. And by doing so, we cut off the right of the MCAs to further debit their accounts. So they continued to debit that account for three weeks weeks. while you were getting this set up. Three, three and a half weeks, another million dollars out the door. So by the time we were we cut them off, they still owed $5.2 million. Huh. No further payments. I told them the risks were they could all file suit against you, but they can't confess judgment. But right. you may have six lawsuits on your hand. Right. Turned out only one company filed suit. We retained counsel in New York to fight it. We put it on hold, especially once COVID-19 happened. And the courts were pretty much shut down for months. Took me enough time to get the MCAs to stop yelling at me and ultimately to settle the cases. We ended up settling all six claims for a cumulative total of $1.3 million or roughly 25 cents on the dollar. And... The company is not only still in business, they're doing better than ever. That's remarkable. What a great story. It happens. 
But for every great story, there are stories where people don't survive. Yeah. Um, it's not typical that you'll come across a borrower who has millions of dollars in MCA debt. But what you typically see are borrowers who have anywhere from a half a million to $2 million in right. debt. And uh, there are uh, the big difference is now the law is changing. And uh, the pendulum is swinging against the MCAs. And that's irrespective of, of course, everything that's transpired under COVID-19. Yeah, that, you know, that's crazy that, that the, the laws are, are set like that so they favor the MCAs. That, I mean, that just seems so contradictory to other laws that protect the, the citizens, the individual, and the business. Uh, against it protects businesses from being preyed upon by by those uh, like the MCAs. You know, you saw it in the payday loans where they they pretty they really uh, they put a top cap on that. So or they outlaw right. it. So it's interesting that that they've allowed the MCAs. So is is New York unusual or is that typical? No, it, even in other states that um, where. The MCAs have law in those states like Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, Virginia, Utah. Um, it, it Up until now, cases have found that these contracts are not loans and therefore not subject to usury. Hmm. But that's changing. There has been a lot of litigation filed in the past few years. Several cases are, are presently winding their way through the courts primarily in New York and Pennsylvania. And the, the climate is changing. There is a very good chance, and I believe in the next year to two, we're going to start to see decisions made not upholding these contracts as anything but a, a usurious loan. Good. And so that's changing. Um, the uh, and the MCAs are on the defensive at this point, uh, and so just like in the payday lending industry, again the pendulum's swinging, the tide's turning. Right. Uh, but in the meantime, there is debt out there that has to be paid. There are businesses out there that have no other avenue other than to go get MCA debt, and it's a problem. Uh, but it's a problem where there once were no solutions for the borrower, but there are solutions today. Yeah, that's, you know, it's um, like so many other problems that are out there and solutions that are available. It takes people like you that, that have the know-how and have the, the tenacity to be able to protect those people that are being taken advantage of. So I applaud you for that because it's more than just a business for you. That it's You're really helping people that that are vulnerable and they really need to see the best way to, to uh, get their financing. And maybe they, they need to make some other tough decisions about their business. You know, sometimes you just need to face the facts and it may, you may need to close your business. Well, that's it. Um, first of all, you have to understand what your business really is and whether or not it's viable. Right. And uh, I, I've found generally in, the consulting practice that I've had for the past 15 years, that it often takes somebody to come in from the outside, look over the owner's shoulder and be more objective in the view. Absolutely. And, um, and, and that's what I do with my clients. I have clients who need that 
objective voice in the room, but a voice that also offers avenues towards a solution. There isn't just one fit for all. It depends on the individual situation. Absolutely. Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. I'm going to have to end it there. I'm going to put your information in our uh, description and in our comments on YouTube. So uh, people, please refer to that for help. If you want to, if you need some help from Mark Melman, he'll be out there for you to, uh, to be able to lend that assistance. So Mark, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today. And remember, I'm Charles Musgrove, your host of Answers That Count. You know where to find us on all those podcast channels, YouTube, Roku TV, and Fire TV. Be sure to subscribe and hit the notification button. Have a great day. thank you so much. Mark, it's been my pleasure. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit AnswersThatCount.com.